Dear friends in Jesus Christ, on these three Wednesdays in Advent, we have been focusing on the book of Isaiah. Not the easiest book to understand readily. However, though, a very important book of the Bible, so much pointing ahead to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, to his first coming, and also to his second coming at the end of the world. Let me just go over it real quick here. So on week number one, we looked at a portion of chapter two, and what I was trying to focus on is you are invited. In other words, that is what Isaiah is telling us as believers to say to someone else, hey, you are invited to come and join with us and to receive the blessings of the Christ. Last week, we focused on chapter 11, and I called it the amazing party because much of that reading is pointing ahead to how things will be when we are finally with God forever. It's going to be so amazing and so awesome. We have so much to look forward to. Today now, we're in chapter 35, and I'm saying here that knowing Jesus makes all the difference. Now, what you're going to see in this reading today, especially in this first part, you'll see how things are barren, and depressing and disabled. That's part of what Isaiah is trying to show us. That's how the sinful world is. That's the fallen world in which we live. But yet, through Jesus, everything is going to be radically transformed. Again, we're thinking about how great transformation took place when he came the first time and then how even greater transformation will be there for all eternity. So let me share it with you. We're going to go right on to the first part here. I'm calling it From Desolate to Glorious. We're in Isaiah chapter 35, picking up in verse 1. The Bible says, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice with blossom." Like crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and a shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon, talking about its mighty forests, will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel, talking about the beauty of Carmel and Sharon, the great vegetation of Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God in the Christ. So it's painting like this glorious, beautiful picture of what is coming. I want to talk a little bit here about these key words with the wilderness, the desert, the Arabah. What's that even talking about? It's talking about a place that is pretty desolate, we might say. That's talking about areas that are dry. They have no water. They have no vegetation. Basically, nothing can live there. It's a pretty, pretty sad situation. When we think about the Arabah near Israel, I wanted to show you a map here. So that would be the valley that begins at the south end of the Dead Sea, and then it goes down south to the Red Sea. I tried to give you an indicator there with the part in red. So that's an area that's just desolate. Nothing is there. You might remember when I talked about Sodom and Gomorrah a couple months ago, and at one time they thought that Sodom ancient Sodom was located south of the Dead Sea, and they thought that in part because it's such a desolate area. 
but in fact that's not true. It's actually located north of the Dead Sea, which was a flourishing area at one time, but when God devastated Sodom, he so thoroughly devastated that whole area that it was desolate for about 500 years before finally the vegetation began to come back in that area, and now it's a fertile area again. Let's try to relate that to our own lives. Let's do a little bit of application. Sometimes our own lives can seem very dry, very desolate, maybe very dead in a sense. But for all of us who know Jesus, I'm here to remind us today that we have great, great blessings and we need to remember about them. And I'm going to remind you about some of them today. So it did mention also there about the crocus and about joy and about glory. So I want to share with you a quote here from Dr. Kretzmann. Regarding the crocus, he wrote, Crocus rapidly covers the waste places of the plains after the beginning of the rainy season, making the whole surface of the land appear like a carpet of flowers. Now, we're not talking here about the Arabah having crocus, but we're talking about a place, a plain, that is also fairly desolate, but when God sends a rain, it turns into an entire bed of flowers. So it's this idea of a huge transformation. God wants us to understand when we know Jesus Christ, it's a huge transformation. The Bible says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is talking about great transformation in Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. All of us from conception, all of us were dead in our sins and we were bound for hell. But what happened though, by God's grace, he has made us alive in Christ. He has forgiven all of our sins. He has made us members of his kingdom. So what should we do? We should be filled with great joy that we have those blessings. Now, what is Isaiah doing? He's pointing ahead to what we call the messianic era. So he's writing about 700 years before the time of Christ, but he's trying to get the people to look ahead and realize what wonderful things are coming. So much in the Old Testament is doing that, pointing ahead to the coming Christ. But at the same time, though, so sadly, so many people missed it. They were so involved with their own lives. They were so involved with trying to be good and earn favor with God, which is impossible. The only answer is Jesus Christ, and Isaiah is trying to point people to his coming, and those who believed that promise, and those who trusted in the fact that he would come, and he would take away the sins of the world, they were saved. What about us, what about us today? Well, we should be looking back to when he came and what he did, and now we're in between his first coming and his second coming. So we should be rejoicing that we have the, the benefits he won for us. And now we're looking ahead to his return. But again, though, we live in a world today where the majority of people aren't thinking about the first coming nor the second coming. And it's a bad situation. Let's be so thankful that God has alerted us to such things. God has given us this gift of faith by which we are trusting in Jesus. 
Let's go on to the second part here. I'm calling it much encouragement. Picking up in verse 3, it says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. You know, sometimes life can feel like, maybe like we're like a wrung out dish rag. If you ever done that, you're at the sink and you have the rag all wet and you just wring it out as much as you can. Has your life ever kind of felt like that? We might feel like we're exhausted, we're empty, we just don't have the strength to go on. At such times, let us remember the great present blessings we have, some of which I've already mentioned, and let us remember that with the return of Christ, oh my goodness, the blessings are going to be, we cannot even begin to comprehend them. They're going to be so very great. And then in verse 4, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Why should we fear not? It tells us, behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Now, we have to remember all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. We could say all of us deserve the punishment of God. But what God has done, though, for us who believe, he has set us apart from the fallen world. Sometimes you might hear it this way. Those who know Jesus as Savior, they are in the world but they are not of the world. So yes, we're living here, but we don't belong to the world. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to God's family. Even though we're all kind of mixed together now, there is this very huge difference. When we think about being in this world, especially when we try to really speak for Jesus and live for him and shine the light of Christ, there are a lot of people in the world, they don't want that. So sometimes they persecute us. They make life difficult for us. But what this is saying here, it is saying that eventually the Lord will come. He will come at the perfect time, and he will finally rid us of our enemies forever. When we think about the first coming of Jesus, he did win the victory over sin, over death, over the devil. The thing is, most people don't even know it. They don't think about it. But let's understand, though, that when Jesus comes again, everybody will know he is the Son of God. He did win the victory. And those who continued in him, oh, they are going to be so blessed forever. But for everybody else, it's going to be too late. It's not that like when he comes, there's a second chance. Now is the time. It tells us at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that today is the day of salvation, implying that by waiting tomorrow, that could be too late. God wants us to, to stop having any trust in self and to have all of our trust in Jesus and to know that he is all we need. Having him, we have forgiveness. We have membership in God's family. We have everything we need in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then picking up in verses 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. 
So imagine that the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame leaping, the mute shouting. Does that remind you of something? Jesus did all of those things when he came the first time. That was such a clear indicator. He must be the Son of God in human flesh. He must be that promised Savior. See, here in Isaiah, this is the prophecy pointing to when he would come. So he did come, and he did do all of those things and even more. This is a little bit different now, but I want to share with you a song. It's by a group called Lost and Found, and it's based on, on this section of Scripture. Must be that the world's gone blind Must be that the world's gone blind I can't believe that we could see some things And just go on with our lives Well it must be that the world is blind Must be that the world's gone dumb must be that the world's gone dumb I can't believe that we could be so silent When we see what we might become Well it must be that the world is dumb Must be that the world's gone lame Must be that the world's gone lame could sit so still while the furious fan the flame well it must be that the world is lame must be that the world's been saved must be that the world's been saved The blind will see and the dumb will talk The chains will fall and the lame will walk And the dead will rise from the grave Well it must be that the world is saved Must be that the world is saved If you think about that prophecy, and for those who understood it, they kept having that in their minds, and they're waiting, and they're watching for that one who would come on the scene and would accomplish these great things. And finally, when they saw them happening in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, then they knew, oh, 
Finally, this is the one. He is the Savior. He is the one promised by God. Now, there is not only great physical healing that he's bringing about, but there is eternal salvation through this man, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very Son of God in human flesh. And then continuing in the text here, the Bible says, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah, the scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. So is there a big difference between those who know Jesus and those who do not? In reality, the differences are huge, but in the world today, though, there's like such a gray area, it would seem. We have so many people who are even claiming to be Christian, but they seem to be living like the devil half the time, and it's a very confusing thing. God doesn't want it to be that way. In reality, the difference between someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't, the difference is between heaven and hell, we could say. That's a huge difference. So God wants us to, how can I put it? When we are in Christ, he wants that to show. We should be reflecting Christ in what we say and in what we do. In the text here, I think that's what it's trying to say. So it talked about this dry wilderness and Arabah. It would not just become damp. You know, it goes from dry to damp, but what did it say? There, there is going to be a pool there. there. There are going to be springs of water. So it goes from being so dry and desolate and nothing to being just flourishing in every way. Or it talked about the jackal here. So a jackal is a wolf-like animal. So what it's saying is this was a place that was too dry for a jackal to be able to live. But now it's telling us that with this transformation, this is going to be a place that the jackals will frequent. So that might not be the greatest example for us, but the readers of Isaiah long ago would have understood that a little bit better. Since those amazing changes are coming for all who are believers, what should we do? We should be living with much encouragement. Finally, in the last part today, we want to talk a little bit about the amazing eternity. So in this section, what Isaiah is doing is he's trying to show us somewhat the separation between those who know Jesus and those who do not. Now, God doesn't want anybody to not know him. God desires all to be saved. Jesus Christ has made the way for everyone. So for everyone who is ultimately not saved, it becomes their own fault, which is very sad. But certainly no one is excluded. No one is left out. No matter how great our sins are, God's love and forgiveness are greater. That's the amazing thing. Picking up in verse 8, and a highway will be there, a roadway. So the idea of a roadway is a way that you can travel without any traveling difficulties. Every problem has been removed. 
So a roadway will be there, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean, that means all who have rejected Jesus, will not travel on it. But it will be for him who walks that way. What does that mean? It will be for him who walks that way. That means him who walks God's way. And then it goes on, and fools will not wander on it. In other words, for all who know Jesus, we understand that we have done wrong, we deserve something horrible, but in Jesus, we have something wonderful. So what is the reaction to that? We are just filled with gratitude. We are filled with thanksgiving. Now we are wanting to better know and to better follow the word of God. So that's going to show in the lives of those who know Jesus. And then what is a fool? That's a harsh term, but what is a fool? That is someone who is rejecting God. But think about it, though. Anyone who's rejecting God, at the very same time, they are constantly breathing, living, and eating the kind, undeserved blessings of God, but yet at the same time, they are flat rejecting God. Doesn't make sense, does it? That people could be so blessed by God Almighty, and yet at the same time, they are so thoroughly rejecting him. Let's never be in that category. And then verse 9, no lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast go up on it. Talking about this roadway, they will not be found there. So we could say, what does that mean? All that puts fear within us as believers in this world. No matter what it is that puts fear within us, when we are finally with God, all of that will be gone forever and ever. So much to look forward to. And then in the final part of the text here, but the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So a couple of key words there with redeemed. God redeemed us. That means he bought us back. He ransomed us. So Jesus he himself is the ransom. He gave his life to pay for us. He gave his life to buy us back from the pit of hell, if you will. He did that through his sinless living. He could only do that because he is God in flesh. He did that through his sacrificial dying. He had no sin, and yet he took our sin, he took our punishment, he laid down his life, and just before he did, he declared his work to be finished, or he declared, we could say, the way to heaven to be open for everyone through him and only through him. What is our rightful response? Well, it should be when we really kind of get it, when we really understand the the bad, bad news and the great good news, when we really finally get it, when we really know what we have in Jesus Christ, it should be joyful shouting, everlasting joy, great gladness. May God fill us with such things now and always. Let us pray. Dearest Jesus, we are so blessed to know you 
by grace through repentance and faith. We are also so blessed to be right with the Father through your perfect living and sacrificial dying. Thank you so very much. As you so greatly love us, may you help us to love others much by telling them who you are and what you have done so that by the work of the Holy Spirit, they might know you too. In your holy name we pray. Amen.